And man, it's been his world all along. We're in the book of Revelation as we continue looking at the four horsemen, verses 5 through 8 of chapter 6 this morning. Ask when you find the text if you'll stand in honor of our great and awesome God as I read from his holy word. When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wages and three quarters of barley for a day's wages. And do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. Let's pray. Father, as we look into the future, Lord. Father, we're not pleased. We're broken over what awaits a world that has written you off written you out, who has rebelled against you. Father, I pray, my heart prayer is that no one here, Father, is part of that. Lord, may we just hear from you today. Father, may we desire to give everything back to you. It's yours anyway, but we need to recognize that fact, Lord. Because when we don't, Father, we end up broken and hurt. You are the great healer, and I just pray, Father, that you would just continue to work through this time we have gathered. Holy Spirit, we invite you to continue to move among us. We ask that you not be hindered in any manner, Lord, as we continue. We just want this hour to be your hour, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In September 30th, 1862, Sarah Pardee married William Winchester. And talk about hitting pay dirt. <laughs> she married a man who was worth over $20 million. Now, in 1862, I don't know what the equivalent is today, but let me just say that's a heap of money. But heartbreak soon followed. You see, it doesn't matter how much money you have. That's not going to totally guard you from heartache and heartbreak. Four years later, they had a baby girl that they loved with all their hearts. But within four months, she was dead. That sent Sarah into a tailspin of great depression. It's hard for her to even get out of bed. And then, just a few short years later, her husband, William, died of tuberculosis. So here she had over $20 million dollars. She got an allowance of $1,000 a day. It wouldn't even be too bad today, would it? $1,000 a day allowance. But she was looking for answers. And sadly enough, even though she grew up in an era where uh, Jesus was preached in the New England area where she lived, she did not turn to Christ. She went to mediums. She went to spiritists looking for answers. 
And what such medium told her, well, the problem is not only the death of your children, it's how you acquired your wealth. Because you see, William's father was the inventor of the repeating Winchester rifle, which was the main weapon used in the Civil War that helped the Union be able to defeat the South, the Confederates. Many people had died as a result of using that weapon. And this medium said, you need to find some restitution. What you need to do is you need to move out west. You need to find a house and you need to continually build onto that house so that there will be a place for those who were killed by the Winchester rifle to reside. As long as you keep building on that house, you will not die and you will be safe from the ghosts of those who have died as a result of the Winchester repeating rifle. So she moved out, bought a six-room farmhouse in San Jose, California. And for the next 38 years, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, something was either being constructed in the house or added to the house. Stuff was shipped in by train and continually they added rooms and towers and peaks Staircases led to nowhere. Doors opened into walls. Hallways doubled back upon themselves. And she was fascinated with the number 13. She had windows that had 13 panes of glass. There were 13 bathrooms in this house. (laughs) And even in her will, it was composed of 13 sections that had to be signed 13 times. And even though the building continued... For over 30 years, in 1922, she died. And in San Jose, California, on Winchester Boulevard, there is this house of oddity that serves as a museum. Although there is not a curse of ghosts that haunts you because of your past experience or your past sins, there is another condition that haunts you. It is the fact that you are separated from God Himself. All of us are separated due to our sins. Matter of fact, turn me to John chapter 3. You know, we always quote John 3.16. What a wonderful scripture that has been shared so often. So many of us know it. By memory. Matter of fact, you can say it with me in the King James. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Right? Well, verse 17, it says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. God didn't send Jesus here because He hates you. He sent Jesus here because He loves you. God didn't send Jesus here so that you would be punished and continue in guilt that never ends. He sent Jesus here to free you. To save you through Him. Verse 18. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. If you believe in Christ, you're not condemned. Look at the next part of the verse. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. You see, the 
issue is not what you will do. The issue is what we have already done. We stand condemned already. Separated from the holy God. Matter of fact, chapter 3 closes out. Look at verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Man, what a frightening thought. Apart from Christ, we always hear about the love of God, made in God's image, cared by God. But the Bible says specifically that apart from Christ, the very wrath of God remains upon us. That wrath has to be lifted. And that's what the gospel is all about. And that brings us to our text in Revelation chapter 6. As we look upon this horse, the black horse. The lamb opened the third seal, verse 5. He said, I I heard the third living creature say, come. I looked and there before me was a black horse. And notice what the rider held. The rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying a quart of wheat for a day's wages and three quarts of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and the wine. In simple words, what he was saying is that a day's wages, which was a denarius, was on one side of the scale and on the other side of the scale was what was needed In food for a day to survive. In other words, a day's wages was just enough to get enough food to eat so you didn't starve to death. That was what was coming as this rider entered and brought God's judgment. You know, put it in modern day words. You're working minimum wage. And you just started work at McDonald's. Eight hours of work, you know, seven twenty-five. round that puppy off if you work an eight-hour day, you know, $56. By the time you take taxes out, hey, you're lucky if you got 50 bucks a day. But it just so happens that a loaf of bread costs 50 bucks. So all you can afford is one loaf of bread to eat. Why, a Big Mac costs 100 bucks, so you can't even get you a Big Mac. It's so expensive. But because you... It's not just you, you have a family. There are others in your family. Can't afford wheat, so you eat barley. Because you can get three loaves of barley bread instead of just one loaf of wheat bread, which is goes further in a hungry family. Matter of fact, barley was the food of the day that went to the livestock. In other words, in our day, it'd be like giving dog food. For each meal. I don't know about you. I tried Alpo one time. Not for me. That would be the equivalent of that occurring. It, It was the food that was given. Not only to the animals. But to the impoverished. And then it speaks about oil and wine in here. In other words. I think the indication here is that the people who are rich. They'll still be rich. And they'll still be taking advantage of those who are poor. And the middle class will join the poor. And the vast majority of people will suffer because there's lack of food. 
I looked into the great famine of 1315 in Germany where there was a problem where there was not enough to eat and the little bit of grain that was stored was going to the rich who would eat gluttonous amounts of food while people literally starved to death. Children were abandoned. There wasn't enough food. As a matter of fact, out of that, the German story came where the two little kids got lost in the woods. They ended up in a witch's house and she was preparing the oven to cook them. You may remember the story. And they tricked the witch, put her in the oven, took uh, her jewelry and her riches and got out of the woods, found their dad, and everybody lived happily ever after. The story of Hansel and Gretel came out of this great famine of those who suffered. It's hard for us to understand what it's like to be hungry because quite honestly, we've probably never really been hungry. Not hungry like this, where you're literally starving to death. We've seen pictures of people who are starving to death in countries where they're wasting away. But for us, what does that mean? I don't get my extra bowl of ice cream at night. Or if, if you're like a Atticus who's been with us, we've discovered, and you appreciate this, Terry, he loves peanut butter. Man, that kid loves peanut butter. I got up this morning, I found three spoons. Had peanut butter on them. Had to wipe that peanut butter off those spoons. But to him, that's a feast. Had peanut butter. But there will be nothing to eat. Nothing. And across much of our world, there are those who are starving even now. And even when humanitarian aid comes in to try to feed those people, often that food is confiscated by the rich and sold on the black market. And the food never reaches the people who so desperately need it. And although we are called to love people and to feed them, there is an even greater need. That food should serve as a bridge so that they can receive the bread alive. Because there is going to come a day where there's only one way to escape that wrath, that coming judgment, and that is through Jesus Christ. And let's look at this next horse. Oh my goodness, how time moves. <laughs> um, it, verse 7, When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, I looked, and there before me was a pale horse its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power of a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. This is the only rider named. Death, Hades following. And in the wake of this horseman appearing on the scene, it says a fourth of the population the earth will die. Yeah, I looked it up trying to find the latest count of how many live on the earth. And the latest count, I mean, how can it be totally accurate? But it said seven and a half billion people. So I'm no mathematician. But man, you, a quarter of seven and a half billion people, even if we put all our fingers and toes together, it wouldn't be a drop in the bucket. And all of Bristol, all of Virginia. I mean, that's a bunch of people. And they will die during this great, Time of judgment. Look at here in this verse 8. It tells us four causes or four ways that people will die. Killed by the sword. There will be evil people in charge 
who will kill people through dictatorships. And we see people now, just in the past couple of years, who have been beheaded, who have been tortured and, and killed uh, because of a disagreement of faith or, or government. We've seen that over and over. Secondly, the second cause, famine, which I've already referred to with this previous writer, but there will be people who literally starve and die from lack of nourishment, not being able to find food. And then third is pestilence. Uh, the Greek words, the word translated death. There's a loss of civility and a respect for human life. Each man is his own. And, and, and the picture here is you're just trying to survive. You don't care who gets killed as long as you are able to survive. And then the fourth one here is pestilence. Or, or not or the fourth one here, excuse me, not pestilence, the one I just shared. The fourth one here that is shared is um, plague. Plague, as it says here in the scriptures. And we have seen, uh, it's interesting, I looked at plagues that are carried through animals. There are some 35 plagues that they know of that are carried. Uh, here's just a few that we're familiar with. The Zika virus, Ebola, mad cow disease. Avian flu, Lyme disease, West Nile virus, SARS. We know of chemical weapons that exist now that contain smallpox, anthrax, and even Ebola, which have been prepared. Hundreds of millions of people will die in just a very short time. No superstition can save them. No adding on rooms to a house is enough to prevent the coming disaster that is around the corner. Uh, the as we think about rats and all the diseases that are carried by that animal alone, uh, there is certainly a way for God to bring forth all all of this destruction in His judgment. And death won't even be an escape. It's not enough to just die. Then you got to face God. Death comes to all. And facing God also comes to all. It says in Hebrews, it's destined for man to die once and then face the judgment. So when you die here, there is a holding place. Hades in the Old Testament speaks of Sheol. Until that final judgment before God. Luke 16, turn me there real quick. Jesus talks about this place when he speaks about the rich man and a beggar named Lazarus. So in Luke 16, I just want to read verse 24. He both died, this beggar and this rich man. And it says in verse 24 that this rich man uh, called out to Lazarus. It says, so he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. We don't talk about this much in the modern church, do we? It's all about God's love. But what does God's love rescue us from? It rescues us from this torment. He said, man, if you could just 
Have him dip his finger and, and touch my tongue because I'm on a fire. Burning but not consumed like that burning bush. <laughs> and then turn me to Revelation chapter 20. In verse 14. As it reads about, those, about the final judgment. The, the dead will be judged in verse 14. Then death and Hades, those who are in that holding tank. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. There's a second death that is forever. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is serious business that the scriptures talk about. The wrath of God remains upon us and there's only one way out. There's only one rescue. Jesus Christ is that rescue. Now, four words as I close this out, trying to bring some application to these writers in this section of Scripture. The first is motivation. It's not easy to talk about this stuff. Matter of fact, I read somewhere, you know, one of the preachers of another generation said, you know, when you talk about hell, it should never be like you're happy. No. We should be broken. We don't want anybody to suffer. To be separated from God for all of time. It really should be something communicated with tears. I love it in 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4. It says, it's not God's, or 2 Peter 3, 9, it's not God's will that anyone should perish. And then he says, it's God's will that all come to a knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2, 4. And for all to be saved. That's, that's God's ultimate heart. But it, this provides a motivation of when you die. That's not all there is, guys. And, and people need to know that. God does love you. And, well, how could God send anybody else? He sent His Son so you don't have to go to hell. That's, that's the good news. That's what He's done. Secondly is evaluation. Motivation is to go to those who you believe do not know the truth. Evaluation is to go to you to make sure you know the truth. It's not enough to just raise a hand, sign a card, or even walk up front in church. Something that might have happened 20 years ago, if you're holding on to that, but there's no evidence that God's holding on to you, and that your life has been transformed and changed, do an evaluation, do a checkup. Make sure you're in the faith. And, and the third one here is anticipation. Turn me to 2 Timothy 4. I'm almost at the end here, guys. Hang on. Second Timothy 4, verse 8. Or I'll start verse 7. Paul says, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for His appearing. Man. Are you looking for Him to come back? Are you looking for the skies to open and our Lord to descend in the twinkling of an eye? That's our hope, guys. There's a coming judgment, but we have a Lord who paid for that. And then the last one here is exaltation. One commentator wrote like this. He said, 
the soon coming of Christ, the glory of his victory, the majesty of his heaven and the power of his new creation causes me to want to honor and exalt Christ, our Redeemer and our coming King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You see, the truth of the matter is. When we enter this world because of sin, we enter into a funeral procession. We're just walking toward death. We're walking toward emptiness. We're walking toward meaninglessness. Then we're walking toward ultimate judgment. Of being separated from God. and Where there's torment and there's suffering. We're just headed toward a, a funeral procession. But when we come to Christ. Man, we move from the funeral procession to a wedding party. <laughs> as we enter in as the bride of Christ. And if he returns in a moment and those clouds open and he descends from the sky, there will be a welcoming committee welcoming us home as we head toward home. So there's the motivation, the evaluation, the anticipation, and the exaltation. Listen to the words of the old Puritan preacher Thomas Watson. He wrote, The world is but a great inn where we are to lodge a night or two and be gone. What madness it is to set our heart upon this inn and forget our home. God forbid. May we long for the appearing of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 closes. In verse nine, second part of verse 9. He says, oh, as I love to look upon you that serve the living and true God. In verse 10, he closed that chapter. He says, as we wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Have you been rescued? If not, there's no better time than now. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Father, this is a warning. As we look at the judgments of God, it is a warning. Do not take God lightly. I pray this morning as we consider how great a forgiving and awesome God you are. That Lord, we do not want to miss the fact that you also are a holy God. And sin, because of sin, judgment awaits us. We're in a, a funeral procession until we join the wedding party. And that comes only through that bridegroom, Jesus Christ, who brings the forgiveness. And, and I just pray this morning that we all have that. We all have that fixed, Lord. That we have received the proposal of God through Jesus Christ. And said, yes! To become a part of his family. To be united with Christ. And, and I, I just want everybody to have that nailed down. Lord. We have an altar here to come and to pray. Just to do business with you in whatever area you see. Maybe there are some here who, who need to come and to be baptized. To take that step of obedience. Which is a picture that I have trusted Christ. That I have died to my sins and I've been raised to new life. And, and I just want to... Demonstrate that by obedience of baptism. Maybe there are others, Lord, who have not trusted you yet. And now's the time. What a great time for that to occur. 
Maybe there's some other decision that we need to submit to you. What a great time to come to the altar. Bring that before you to say yes to you, God, to honor you, the living one. I pray as we stand and as we sing that it would be an act of worship to you, that we would respond to your call, whatever that call may be. In the name of the one and only Son, Jesus, we pray.